In a moment now we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1 all the way down to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Genesis chapter 1. When you have the blessing of living in this part of the world, you often have the blessing of seeing many gardens in around here. Gardens are often, they can be hard to design. They can be even harder to maintain and to sustain. And we know from watching that gardens don't create themselves, do they? There's a lot of work Involved, And they are wonderful to look at, to enjoy. They bring great delight to our hearts when we see them as we drive past homes with different types of, of gardens. They bring joy to people's lives. So people freely and joyfully add gardens to their homes. Even though often there can be a lot of work, a lot of uh, difficulty maintaining them. But they freely and joyfully at these gardens, either to the front or to the back of their homes. And there's great skill, isn't there, involved in gardening? I know a lot of people will say, ah, that's nothing. They have these wonderful bushes at the front, wonderful flowers and different things, but they show a great degree of skill and a love for nature in the process. It's a wonderful thing to see. Last Sabbath evening, we were looking at the topic of the, the Holy Trinity, We looked at how God is one being. He's one in essence, but three in persons. And how each of these persons, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, they share this one undivided essence, being. And they are, apart from all creation, apart from all things made, This is who God is. It is eternal to God's being. Eternal to who God is. Immutable. And we were talking about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And these are classified as works of who God is. Um, We looked at last week, God the Father begets God the Son. And God the Son is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And these are eternal works, these are relationships from all eternity. This work goes on apart from anything being created outside of God. And God cannot deny himself. These are things that cannot change. These are works that cannot change. I say this To really point out, before we look at the works of creation and things like that, we must not think of God as being idle from eternity past. And then certainly, I said this reverently, springing into action. God is, as one theologian in the past called it, pure act. Or, as another man put it, he is maximally alive. Our God does not depend on anything he's created. However... Freely and wonderfully and joyfully creating all that we see around us. Bringing glory to his name. For God to be God, there's these internal relationships within God. Within the triune God. 
but then what we call external works of God. God is not limited by his creation. He is not limited by anything he's spoken into existence. He is who he is. This brings us on to another section in the Westminster Library Catechism. So we've looked at the internal works of God. Now we're going to look at the external work of God. Or we could think of it another way. Creation. Creation. How God, out of nothing, created all that we see around us. To put it like this, as we think about this, because he is self-existent and depends on nothing outside of himself, all that we see around us with our eyes depends on God. God's relationship to what he has brought into existence is what we're going to be looking at here this evening. How he has spoken it forth, God's relationship with that which depends on him, which is a major shift from what we looked at last week. God freely and of no necessity within himself created all those around us. God is sufficient in and of himself and does not gain anything. This is the amazing thing. Our God cannot be made greater, can he? Or he cannot be made less. So even from creation, he gains, you could say, nothing from it. But at the same time, creation and all that has been made has been made to glorify God. All sufficient, all powerful. And creation and all that we see around us has been made for one main purpose. To shine forth and to show of the glory of Almighty God. So as we read this section of God's holy and infallible word from the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, let us think about that. How God is glorified in all these things. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The sea was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, and whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night 
And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. And the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night. And to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves. With which the waters abounded according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying. Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters in the seas. And that birds multiply on the earth. So the earth and the morning. Or sorry the evening and the morning. Were the fifth day. Then God said. Let the earth bring forth the living creature. According to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing. And beast of the earth. According to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to every thing that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus, The heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth. And the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And may the Lord 
bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. There is a sense here as we look at our title and our title for the topic which we'll be looking at, which are based on questions 12 to question 20 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, are the wonderful works of God, the wonderful works of of God, And really this evening I want us to see the greatness of God, but also in seeing the greatness of God, the smallest of us mere creatures. Every creature, no matter how powerful they be, may be as, as powerful as an angel, down to us human beings. No matter our power, no matter our wealth, no matter our influence, no matter even upon this earth, our species. All depend on God. All God. God is active in the fullest way. From all eternity in himself. He does not change in this act of creation. He is not improved in any way through creation. But he freely, wonderfully, joyfully shows forth his glory. And that may bring all the glory to him and to him alone. The first point we're going to look at, looking at this topic of the wonderful works of God, is decree. Decree. If you wish to see the power of a ruler in history, or even today, they would issue what is called a decree or a command. And when they give their orders, you can see the degree of their power by, well, does it happen? Now, What does God decree? What does God decree? We have a few examples in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, it says here in verse 3, Then God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? And there was light. Now we read over that and think, okay, we, we get so used to hearing that. But imagine the power of that decree. All creation obey him at his voice. Verse 6. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus, verse 7. God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament. From the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. Everything in creation. The smallest particle of dust. Everything obeys the voice of Almighty God. It says this in question 12 of our Westminster Larger Catechism. What are the decrees of God? The answer says this, God's decrees are, his, are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby from all eternity he hath for his own glory, unchangeably, foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. So I think many of us, even anybody, if they believe in God, they will admit that God is in control of the weather and God is in control of all sorts of things. But what people struggle with is that God is in control of us. Mere creatures. And this is what the decree of God is. He has unchangeably foreordained whatsoever has come to pass. 
He is the first cause, you could say, of everything that happens. Even of angels. Even of men. Even of pagan kings are not outside the control of God. So in our text we see God decreeing and creating. Forming everything that is bound in time. Actually, if you go back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created time. It's an amazing thing. You know, when, we, when we leave this earth, when the new heavens and the new earth come in, there'll be no more time. God created time itself. At one point there was no light, and then he speaks it out of Nothing. Question 14 of the Westminster Large Catechism says this. How doth God execute his decrees? It seems like a, it sounds like a, a very difficult question to answer, doesn't it? How? How does he do this? It says, God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge And the free and immutable counsel of his will. How does he do it? According to his infallible foreknowledge. How does he know it is going to come to pass? Because he's decreed it. Do you see this? It all springs forth from God. God does not look down the corridors of time and learn anything. God cannot learn anything. If anything comes to pass, it is because he has decreed it in the first place. Anything moves in any specific direction. We may struggle to understand this. But he is the one. Without which. There is nothing. He is the one upon which. Every single thing. Depends upon. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. God created everything. Everything. He spoke Forth, time, space, and matter by his decree. Without it, nothing. Without it, this room does not exist. Without it, this town does not exist. Without God, our lives do not exist. Our health, imagine that, we wouldn't even exist without God. Our health, our well-being, all things, all created To glorify God. To obey God. And all things in in creation do obey God. None dare stand. Think about it. And even the scriptures use this analogy of this the clay and the potter. It's almost like when we start to fight against our creator. It's like clay trying to pick a fight with the potter. The clay is, is being formed by the potter. And... Paul writes about this, and he's writing about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, a very powerful ruler. But he's writing Romans 9, and he's describing the relationship between the creator and the creature. And he says this, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed... Say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another to dishonor? And the thing to take away from this is this. 
The real power in the world is not the pharaohs, is not the, the people who are in political power right now. The real power in the world is God. Why? Because we see it from his decree. We see it from his power. And this is, we see this example, Pharaoh, whom God, in judging Pharaoh, hardened his heart. God also raised him up. Why? To show his power. To, and God ultimately was glorified. Whom God also brought down himself. Returning to our text in Genesis chapter 1. Verses 6 and 7. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. After more days of creating and speaking powerfully. We also see the creation as well of men. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that that creeps on the earth. Every wonder why when you come into a certain place, and there'll sometimes be a dangerous animal there. Often, animals are terrified, aren't they, of humans. Because of the way it has been created. It has been created this way. In verse 7, it talks about the creation of man as well. These aren't two different creation accounts. These are... These are describing the same action, but more focusing in on that sixth day when it says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This is the one we are to worship, isn't it? Without him. Think about how much we depend on him. We've been formed from dust. The one who made us from dust. Who gave us life. And this is before we even come to the point that we are sinners. We are mere creatures before almighty God. Why has all things been made? It says in Romans 11.36. For of him, through him, and to him. Are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. And when we think about that. How much he he spoke it forth. And and his power and his decree and everything else. Doesn't that verse make complete sense? For of him and to him are all, all things. You see this is the all sufficient God. He needs nothing from his creation. But when it's been made, what has it been made to? To shine forth the glory of Almighty God. So that's decree, number one. Number two now, we're going to look at design. Design. We spoke earlier uh, about gardens. And you can tell a lot about a person's skill and design by looking at their garden. Um, there's a lot of skill goes into a good garden. I, I wouldn't be an expert on it myself, but where do you put the flowers? You certain plants next to each other, they'll, they'll kind of um, you know, choke out the, the light from another type of plant. Uh, some will harm each other. There's a lot of skill involved. There's a group of scientists in the world, they wouldn't necessarily be, called, they wouldn't necessarily be Christians, 
but they believe what they call intelligent design. Intelligent design. And they rightly see that there's a, a design in nature. Uh, life supports one another, fits completely together in a complex system. Without it, life would not be possible. They see part of it. They see the design. Verse 29 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, see I have given you every herb that yields seed. Which is in the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. You see, God has provided the means by which man will have food. Verse 30. Also to every beast of the earth. And to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life I have given every green herb for food and it was so then God saw that everything he had made and indeed it was very good so the evening and the morning were the sixth day not only just putting man there but also designing things to have life flourish have life flourish showing his wisdom His goodness and indeed his power. It says this in Jeremiah 10 verse 12. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom. And has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. Jeremiah 10 verse 12. Have you ever looked around and wondered at the marvelous beauty Of the Lord's created work. Now when it comes to summertime around parts of County Down. What will people often do? It comes towards the summertime. And where will people often go? There's a place called Cranfield isn't there? And people I've heard from a number of people apparently it's lovely. And have you ever had people. You have to persuade me to go there. No, look at this place. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Go there. Do you have to be persuaded to go there? No, you're probably counting down the days, maybe, the next time you can go there again. Why? Because of its design. It's beauty. By a great designer. Our creator. You see, the scientists will kind of go... Oh yeah, there's an intelligence design, we see that. They just don't want the God of the Bible to tell them what to do. You see, you're all around, there's there's design. And it is not just a design for design's sake, it's glorious, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. And it's something to behold and enjoy. But when we're going to places, when we're going to Cranfield, when we're going to any other place... Let's not be atheists when we go and enjoy our break. What do I mean by that? Let's not, when we enjoy all these things, let's also remember the God who made all these things. Because, you know, atheists can love nature. Oh, nature is just wonderful for nature's sake. But it is beautiful because of the one who sustains, who made life and sustains life. Who has given all that is needed to support life. Otherwise it's just purely random accidents and coincidences. When you come home. After a wonderful day out. Say you're at the beach or you're somewhere in nature. You've enjoyed nature. 
And, and you should. Nothing wrong with this. That you should do this. What should we finish the day with? After seeing all of God's created works and enjoying God's created works, we should come home and worship. As families, as individuals, that this would drive us to see and to glory, glorify God in all that he has done in creation. It says in question 15 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, what is the work of creation? It says the work of creation is that wherein God did in the beginning, by the word of his power, make of nothing the world and all things therein for himself. Notice that, for himself, within the space of six days, and all very good. And dear friends, because it is very good, all of it is very good. Isn't he worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the glory? You see... We can seek to defeat the atheist in in an intellectual debate. But at the end of the day, as Christians, it should drive us to worship. Above all else, to worship. So, number one, we've looked at decree, design. Now we're going to look at dominion. Dominion. And because of who made all this and designed all this, who does it belong to? Who does it belong to? If you were to write a piece of poetry, if you were to write some, something artistic, beautiful, that people read and gave people great joy, but what if someone took that piece of work and wrote their own name at the end of it and started to sell it around and everybody started to sing your praises? Well, that was an amazing poem, but you never wrote it. It was someone else. And not only that, perhaps they got paid money for it, for the sale of that. What would we call that today? Theft. Who has made heaven and earth? Who has made all that we enjoy all around us on a daily basis? Who has made us? Who has made our mouths? Who has made our tongues? Who has made our brains? Who has given us our talents? Our families? And because he has made all these things, God has made all these things, we'll turn briefly to Psalm 24. He can say this. this Psalm number 24, verse 1. says this. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and it established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's and fullness, basically all that is in it. It belongs to God, the world and those that are therein. He has founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. Why does it all belong to God? Because he's made it all. If you build something, if you make it, and you you spend hours toiling and and forming it together, you say, well, that's mine. I put all this work into it. Well, God, in six days, created all that we see around us. He's made everything, every blade of grass, every heartbeat. Every drop of water, every moment of joy, of bliss, 
Every one of our children, grandchildren, every one of our extended family. Our family, all these things belong to God. Above all else. Every moment in church belongs to God. And do we not think, because we know this, because he's made all these things, and he has dominion over every single thing, and rightly declares, mine. Is he not jealous, rightly jealous, over these things? It says this in Nahum 1-2. Nahum 1-2. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. And do we see why he's so jealous, or we could also translate it, zealous for his glory? Because it all belongs to him. This is why idolatry is such an affront before Almighty God. This is why it is... It says this in Exodus chapter 20 verse 5. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. These are idols. For I the Lord your God am a jealous God. And he has every right to be. It all belongs to him. None of us have a right to steal. I remember years ago I used to do these kind of um, fairly amateur documentary. Christian documentaries years ago. And I would use music for the background of these documentaries. And I never wrote the music or anything else like that. And I paid for the rights to use this music. Now at the end, I'd always say, who wrote the music? Because it didn't belong to me. It wasn't my work. It's really important to give credit to whoever puts the work into that piece of art. Well, God is the supreme artist. Of all that we see around us. Even your talents. Even your greatest achievements. Are possible. Because of God. The greatest thing you've ever done in your life. That has been enabled by God. Enabled by God. That brings us on. To our fourth point. Is dependency. Because he has created us. Because his power. His design. His dominion. We are so dependent on him. Bring us back again to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. In verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28. Then God Bless them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then remind yourselves of verse 27. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the, the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And as we see this, as we see his power, his might, his control, his dominion, his sustaining of all things, may we also see how utterly frail we are. Utterly frail we are. And how this life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And the timing of the beginning and the end of it and every single thing in our lives is in the hands of God. We are so dependent upon God. After it says in question 17 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, how did God create 
create man. After God had made all of the creatures, he created man, male and female, formed the body of the man of the dust of the ground and the woman of the rib of the man, endued them with living and reasonable and immortal souls, made them after his own image, in knowledge and righteousness and holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and powerful to perform it and, and to fulfill it. With dominion over the creatures, yet subject to fall. Now here's the thing. The power we may think we have in this world has been given to us by God. And it also says in, in question 18 of our Westminster Larger Catechism, what are the works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Why? Because we have a God who sustains and maintains all things. Everything. Not just the big things we may think of our minds. Everything. He has foreordained all whatsoever comes to pass. Everything. And this should bring us to humility. Realizing we are the creatures and he is the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator. Apart from which nothing happens. It says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And while that phrase may seem strange to our ears, the poor in spirit, we are, see our utter dependence on God. Poor in spirit, yet rich in another way, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He needs nothing from us, dear friends. We can... We cannot profit God in any way. Yet, he seeks to have relationship with mere creatures. In the Garden of Eden, it was with Adam, a mere creature. But breaking that covenant, by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, brings sin and wrath upon all creation. And yet, God still provides yet another way. The way of grace. Before the way of works, now the way of grace. To have a way of relationship with the Father. And should not, as we finish off here, bring this to a point of devotion. Worship. That's our fifth point. Devotion. So we've looked at decree, design, dominion, dependency, and now devotion. Because our life is so dependent upon him. So dependent upon him. And I want you to look at the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And I want to ask you the question. What did man do on his first full day? Now man was created on the sixth day, wasn't he? But what did he do on the first full day? He was refreshed. He imitated God. And he worshipped. This is before there's any sin. This is before there's any fall. It says in in chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done. And rested on the seventh day. From all his work that he had done. Now let's think about this for a second. 
Now people say, well, it doesn't say anything about Adam here. Well, we are supposed to be imitators of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We are to follow God in what are called his communicable attributes. Or how I put it this way. We can't be all-knowing, can we? We can't be omnipresent. We can't be everywhere. But we must be holy as God is holy. God did not need a rest on the seventh day, did he? God, our God does not get tired. It's not after six days, and I say this reverently, that God is tired and exhausted and needs a break. Why is this here? Well, it's here for our benefit. It's here to teach us about that one day in seven. And what does it say? Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because he rested from all his work, which, which God had created and made. Now, God sustains and maintains everything, even on this seventh day. On this day set apart by God. But this is the first full day for man. And this Sabbath day, this set day set apart, it's even observed all the way through, actually before the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, even before that is given to Mount Sinai. You still see the observance of the Sabbath day on in Exodus chapter 16. This goes right back to creation. If you look at the Sabbath day observance in the middle of the Ten Commandments, what's the reasoning for it? For in six days... God created heaven and the earth. And on the seventh day, what did he do? In Exodus chapter 20, it points right back to creation. God rested. So that we would imitate him here. Being refreshed. Blessed. In him. Now in eternity, there's going to be an eternal Sabbath. When we will worship God forever and ever and never being tired or weary or anything else. Because this is the most important thing that we can do. To start our week as it is in the New New Testament. The first day of the week. The day of the resurrection day. It's no longer the seventh day of the week. It becomes the first day of the week since the resurrection of Christ. And what do we do in that first day of the week? From the resurrection onwards. We are refreshed in Christ for the week ahead. Because we are mere creatures. Notice dear friends. This goes right back to before there's a sin committed. It's all about being refreshed in him. Because we are creatures. And we've been made for his glory. The greatness of God is revealed in his works and his word. And the more we see this, the more we see our our degree of dependency upon him. May it drive us, may it motivate us, may it stir us up. Not just to, to worship him out of mere duty, but do it out of gladness, happiness, joyfulness. Realizing that he is our eternal reward and he is enough. The more we learn of God the more we, we see how wonderful heaven is. And I'll leave, leave us with this one last point. We often can think that the Bible does not say much about heaven. Oh, it says more about hell. 
But the more I've thought about that over the years, I disagree. The Bible says much about God. The reward in heaven is God himself. It is him. The reward here on earth is God. The church today, in seeing who the creator is, in seeing who our sustainer is, we must once again see that he is enough. More than enough. All sufficient. All glorious. And rejoicing in him. And in him alone. Amen.